So here we are again, Maribel. It's another Hispanic Heritage Month or Latino Heritage Month or Latine Heritage Month or, or Latinx <laughs> Heritage Month or what else? Or all the other things that define us. As we know, you all, Pulso fam listening to us, every year from September 15th to October 15th in the U.S., we celebrate our Latino Hispanic heritage. And this month, this celebration comes with a lot of good, some bad, and that's what we're going to be unpacking today in this episode of The Pulso Pod. I figured, Maribel, I would start with a positive approach to the things that I love to see every year. You tell me the same, and then we, of course, have to go into the negative. ¿Te parece? Oh, we're starting with a positive. I love this new leaf we're turning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to get right into it. So what do I love to see this month? Honestly, I love to see how different parts of the country bring out the folklore during this time of year. We know that this time of year is to celebrate the independences of many of our um, Latin American countries. And so to see our communities come out in song and dance and have block parties and just see our traditions flying high, it warms my heart. I love to see it. And it just makes me so proud to be Latina. I actually really love how it brings us together in some way. I mean, I know that we're very different people. We're, we all have our specific cultures and our unique traditions. But I think it's cool to see us come together in a specific time of the year where we are super proud and and sharing even some of these traditions together, whether you're from Mexico, Colombia, Venezuela, de donde sea que eres, we, we, I, it does feel like we're coming together a little bit more and it's exciting. Yeah, exactly. I could not agree more. And of course, before we even hopped on the mic, as we always do, Maribel, we always have things to complain about, rightfully so, because this month is not always used for the positive. There are definitely things that annoy us every single year uh, during this time. Can I go first? Please. <laughs> Things that annoy us about Hispanic Heritage Month. So here's the one that's like the most annoying. I hate it when brands show their performative actions on Hispanic Heritage Month. I just, I'm so annoyed to see that brands continue to just post content that's performative. For example, they'll only talk about Hispanic writers during Hispanic Heritage Month, or they will only feature Hispanic movies. It just feels like it's the only time of the year that we get any shine. And to me, that's very performative. Also, it's Hispanic heritage. So we don't necessarily want to just feature people during Hispanic Heritage Month that are Hispanic just for the sake of it. Here are five Hispanic businesses you can buy from. What? <laughs> <laughs> totally, Emmanuel. Oh, I, I could not agree more with you. And speaking of those listicles, that's one of my pet peeves. Oh, my God. And you can tell that, especially, obviously, Pulso Fam, we're talking about more mainstream brands, right? That like just remember that we exist during this time of year. But it's like they recycle the same listicle every year and it's the same people that they highlight and I'm I'm not even gonna name names so you all don't come after me but we all know there's like five famous Latinos that get featured every year and every year they dust off the listicle they post it during Hispanic yeah. Heritage Month como que si no hubiese más gente en nuestra comunidad there's a lot of lazy journalism that happens during Hispanic Heritage Month, and that is a big pet peeve of mine as well. Like, do some research, reach out, expand your circles, and find some new people that you can feature or new businesses or new creators. 
whatever. As you all can probably tell already from Maribel and I's tone here, this really bothers us. We are very passionate about this issue because we're passionate about all things Latino. And we are not the only ones who have thoughts, both positive, some not so much, about this month that comes around every year. When we kicked off Hispanic Heritage Month, we asked our Pulso fam on Instagram two questions. What they love about Hispanic Latino Heritage Month and what makes them cringe about the celebration. Dozens of our followers answered, and here are some of my favorite responses. What makes them cringe about Hispanic Latino Heritage Month? Someone said performative activism. Yep, we definitely hate to see that. Businesses who aim to profit off our heritage. Mm-hmm. When white people think it's okay to wear traditional Hispanic clothing. Overdrinking to celebrate. Puerto Rico not having independence. Appropriators slapping a jalapeño on something and calling it Latino. Oof, yeah, we hate to see that. To go back to the positive, when we asked our Pulso fam on Instagram what they love to see during Hispanic Latino Heritage Month, this is what they shared. Celebrations, our people, Hispanic farm workers being honored for their work, sharing our traditional food for other people to cherish that aspect of our culture, more tacos, yes, always love more tacos, and finally, our stories. We love to see all of that too. To go deeper into the meaning of this month, we invited a couple of Latina historians to the pod. First, we spoke with Professor Silvia Arrom, Professor of Latino History at Brandeis University. We've been celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month since 1988, so that's been 34 years now. Since Congress authorized it as a month to celebrate Hispanic culture and Hispanic achievements. Because this was the time when Black History Month was proclaimed, Women's History Month, and then a year later, Hispanic Heritage Month. And she explained how it wasn't by chance that these were created. It was through the hard-fought efforts of activists. Well, there were very visible militant civil rights movements that put them in our national consciousness, the Black Power Movement, the Feminist Movement, and a much less known Brown Power Movement. So these History Heritage Months were meant to rectify that neglect and restore Blacks, women, and Latinos to their rightful place in history. It's what scholars call a social construction or an invented category, applying to a group that had never considered itself a cohesive group before that had never been seen as a cohesive group and for which there hadn't been a name until now. So do you think that Hispanic Heritage Month has done more to help advance this invented bloc's status in the U.S., or do you think it has hindered us? No, I think it has advanced the use of the umbrella term, and there are, it has been used more and more and more. So I think Hispanic Heritage Month can be very useful to celebrate the diverse cultures, but I think we have to make it very clear that we're not a block, that we're not a cohesive group. I would love some hidden history or untold history that you think us as Latinos don't often know about our own community. Well, the narrative we have of U.S. history is, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue 1492, blah, blah, and then boom, the Pilgrims and Jamestown. It's an East Coast history. It's a British colonies history. And the history goes from the East Coast, we don't get to the West in the standard narrative till the 19th century. The pioneers are conquering the wilderness. Excuse me, it's not a wilderness. There are indigenous people there and Mexican Americans have been there for centuries already. I think we should all know the true history because we wouldn't make so many stupid mistakes. 
I asked these same questions to Professor Monica Jimenez, assistant professor in the Department of African and African Diaspora Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. So, Professor Jimenez, we are right in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month, celebrated every year from September 15th to October 15th. Can you tell us a bit about the meaning of this celebration? Is it relevant? Does it help us as Latinos? Does it hurt us? What are your thoughts? I'll say it's disputed territory, right? Because there is the way that it's commercialized and co-opted and becomes so meaningless, Oh, we celebrated, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month, so we've met our our diversity quota or whatever it is. Um, So I think in that way, I don't find it useful or relevant. So let's pretend you're in a classroom right now. It is the middle of the month um and and you're you're talking to to our own community because that's exactly the audience here listening to your point we also can use this month to learn more about ourselves i teach a lot of classes on um on race in latin america and the caribbean and and blackness in um latin america and the caribbean so my favorite moments are when students from places that we understand to not be places where there are a lot of African uh, descended people, when they realize that in fact in their communities there's a long history of Black presence, that's what the conversations should be about, right? Broadening what we mean um, when we say Latinidad um, and talking about the questions right now, I think, you know, when you kind of get on social media or even, you know, when I go to academic conferences and the conversations that I see that are very uh, relevant and urgent to people are about racial identities and about um, gender, right? And how our communities can and should um, expand to be inclusive um, to to that kind of diversity, right? So that we can look um, at, so when we say Latino and Latinx, we don't just mean the sort of stereotypical images that we've grown up seeing. Now that we have the historical context, let's get the perspective of those living Latinidad in practice. We've invited two leaders of Latino-serving organizations, one a legacy institution, the other a newer organization, to get their take on Hispanic Latino Heritage Month. I am Marco Davis, president and CEO of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute, also known as CHCI. You are here to give us the perspective of Marco and whatever you want, but also because CHCI is such an important legacy, traditional, old. impactful. You're saying old. I get it. Old, I get it. old, but but pioneer, pioneering organization. For the record, I'm not a boomer. Just for the record, tell us what CHCI does. In a few words, is a leadership development institute for emerging leaders in the Latino community. And you all have been around. Not calling you old, but you all have been around, right? So the organization was founded in the 70s. And yes. I would love for you to tell us a bit more, like, why in that moment, why was there a need identified for CHCI to exist? And why are you all still doing the thing today? So in the mid-1970s, uh, there were three or four or five, depending on the year, uh, 
Hispanic members of Congress who found themselves there together and decided to form a Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Too many in our community have been isolated, have been marginalized, have not been able to be a part of those networks, have not had those relationships, and as a result, they, they're not able to leverage uh, those opportunities in order to be at the decision-making table, in order to ensure that our community is looked after and supported uh, and that our, our needs and goals are met. And just looking at the at the history of CHCI, you all happen to have been founded. I'm sure it was not coincidence around the same time when Hispanic Heritage Month was be starting to become a thing. Why is why is this celebration still important? What does Hispanic Heritage Month mean for for our communities and what role are you are are you all playing in in highlighting us during this month? The reason why this work, these activities and Hispanic Heritage Month is still important is because sadly, even as we are one in five people in the United States, uh, overwhelmingly in the United States among non-Latinos, far too little is known about us. Far too little is understood about our culture, about our presence, about the size of us. People are not really aware that we're twenty almost 20% of the United States. People don't understand the breadth and diversity of the fact that we have folks who come from 20 roughly different countries of origin. Uh, the fact that we have folks who've been in the United States just a few weeks or months, and we have folks who trace their lineage back to this earth before the 13 colonies, right? Eva Longoria, the famous actor and now director and producer, uh, loves to proudly proclaim that she is a ninth generation Texan, right? Her family was in what is now Texas long before Texas was ever even thinking about being part of the United States. And so that's why Hispanic Heritage Month is important because it provides an opportunity for us to share with the rest of the nation uh, and remind the rest of the nation who we are, to provide a spotlight on us, to help educate and inform folks about who we are. And the interesting sort of uh, uh, unfortunate but also necessary point is it actually provides us an opportunity to educate ourselves because because we don't show up in uh, textbooks, because there are not enough published uh, books about us, because we don't show up in, in media or in news as much or the way we should, even within our own community, we often don't know some of the truth, some of our rich heritage, some of the contributions we've made to the nation. Uh, and so it's also important to provide a, a special time when we can really focus on this and really celebrate, but also learn about our own community, about our own history, and again, and share that with the rest of the country. Got it, Marco. So for you, you see this period as a way, again, not only to galvanize ourselves and feel prideful about our contributions, but you do also see it as an essential way to let other people who are not of Latino descent remember and let it be known that we're here and we are big contributors to our country. That's interesting because a lot of the debate around HHM is uh, centered around the Latino perspective of do we need it for ourselves? Or uh, a lot of people question uh, that tokenization, right? We're we're not just here during one month of the year, but we're here year round. And so it's interesting to hear your take around how it really has a twofold effect as to why we're still celebrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize it was a debate. Yes, of, of course, we should be celebrating our culture and our heritage year round, and, and I certainly do, and I think many of us do. Um, I think the country should be acknowledging our contributions and we should be fully integrated into society year round and on an everyday basis as well. The reality is that's not the case right now, right? And in my mind, um, uh, and, and because there's so much misconception, because there's confusion, because there's a lack of knowledge and understanding, as I said, sometimes we're an afterthought. Sometimes we're forgotten and left off the 
radar screen. And so in my mind, at a minimum, this month provides an opportunity to spotlight us, to highlight us, to really uh, uh, challenge the rest of the country to think deliberately and consciously about us uh, and to focus on our community and contributions. And I think through that, we'll grow to the point where we can explain to folks, we don't just exist from September 15th to October 15th. We're not just contributing to the nation during those 30 days, but in fact, we're, we have been long before and, and will continue to year round. Uh, but I think this provides a focal point for us to really raise up our agenda, our needs, uh, our profile. I, I see it to be not unlike, again, as has been the case in U.S. history, not unlike Black History Month, which right. when I was a child, right, uh, which I will say, embarrassingly, was the 70s, um, <laughs> Black History Month was one of the only times I ever heard in school about Martin Luther King and George Washington Carver and Rosa Parks. And yes, with time, as that became more universally known and, and made aware of, people first realized that it was oversimplified, that all of Black history wasn't just Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and George Washington Carver, and that there was a much more rich legacy in history and tradition and culture. And also the Black community and Black culture became more integrated into American society and American culture. And I would argue we now recognize and acknowledge, and certainly in the last couple of years, have come to appreciate and pay more attention to the Black community and the Black population in the United States and its contributions to American history and to America's future, right? And that's been something that took time. That didn't happen overnight. And I think the same can happen in the Latino community. And it's just where we are on that journey that we're a little bit earlier in the process of, of bringing the rest of our fellow Americans along. I love that, you know, the arc of history bends towards justice, but it takes time. I think that's an important reminder, exactly. especially for, exactly. for the young people that are going to be listening to us, that, that we want change now. We want progress. And, and as long as we are making progress, uh, we're, we're on the right track. Now, I want to pass the mic to the younger generation. <laughs> Kidding, Marco. I'm done trolling you about your age. I want to pass the mic to Ariana, who is leading the change at an organization that's helping to empower and activate Nuestra Gente year-round. Thanks for having me, Liz. My name is Ariana Henis, and I am a Chicana from Minnesota. I always start off with that because there are Latinas in Minnesota, and that's important to name. Um, I want our folks to feel seen. And so I've been a grassroots organizer turned electoral campaigner turned Mi Gente staff member. And so now I am part of the Mi Gente team. I'm the director of local partnerships and have been a part of this organization um, for around almost three years um, and have been a fan for longer than that, ever since they started. Tell us more about Mi Gente. When did the organization start? What do you all do? And, and why do you do what you do? Mijenta started in was founded in 2015-2016. And so I think what's important to name of that time period is that, you know, it is born out of the Not One More deportation campaign that was going on under the Obama administration, right? And it was born in the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and subsequently in the rise of the Trumpist uh, white nationalist movement as well, right? Um, and I say that because uh, we were born out of struggle and with the dedication to say hard things like deportation should not be happening under any president, right? And under wanting to have harder conversations about what it means to have, to have, uh, to struggle for the rights of our communities and to advocate for us to have more, right? Not just a seat at a table, but an acknowledgement that we are disproportionately being impacted by the growing inequality happening in the country. So right before hopping on to the Pulso pod, we were talking about how busy we are in this time of year. We're nearing the midterm elections and we are, of course, now in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month. 
tell me a bit about how the work that you all are doing intersects with these two moments in time. And I would love to know your real true feelings, uh, good, bad, ugly, on, on what this month means for Latinos. I'll speak from the perspective of someone who's part of Mi Gente. So I think we organizationally feel as an organization that builds power with Latinx communities across the country, right? Political power. Um, that Hispanic Heritage Month is not uh, entirely relevant to a lot of the work we do. Not that it is not important to celebrate the contributions of our communities and our cultura, right? To this country and across the globe. Um, but more in the sense that, you know, there's also a reality that when we jump to celebrating, we really ignore uh, the complexity of the Black and Latino, Black, Latino, and Indigenous experience within that identity, right? And that it ignores the continued harm that our communities are experiencing. It ignores the desperate need for policies that improve the lives of our communities. And so, yes, um, folks can do what they want in terms of celebrating that month. And on our end, what we focus on is really supporting grassroots organizing efforts across the country that are fighting for El Buen Vivir, that are, you know, not afraid to um, lean into those complex conversations of how we build a Latinx movement that's pro-Black, that's pro-gente, that's pro-Indigenous, that's pro-worker and so forth. Yeah, I, I totally hear that, Ariana. My favorite phrase is yes and. How can we do both? Not just celebrate, but to bring attention to how far we still have to go. Absolutely. I think that as opportunities come up like this one, we'll take them, right? Um, if there is an opportunity to spotlight the work of some of our closest organizational partners that are, for example, really fighting to close down a detention center or are fighting against cases of deportation or are ringing the bell against the human rights violations happening at detention centers and are saying, why do these even exist when they're making profits off of putting our people uh, in cages, right? Then we will use that opportunity to highlight those stories in the development of the political capacity of our people uh, and of our brilliance. What are your pet peeves during Hispanic Heritage that you see all the time that you're like, oh, I just wish non-Latinos would stop doing this? I would say a general pet peeve is a leaning towards a very superficial take of the Latinx community. Um, it's talking about, you know, taking three or four people and saying they represent everyone. It's um, not really representing that breath that I, we just, that I described about being acknowledging Blackness and indigeneity and different classes and different genders that are part um, of a very, very big community. Uh, and I think really treating us as a monolith, right? I'll, I'll also say that another thing is talking about the Latinx community as if our only value is as voters to this country. Mm -hmm. We are absolutely, it is true that in the 2020 election, for the first time in history, we became the second largest voting bloc, right? Um, there can be powers in numbers, but I think that transformative change really requires more from us, not just more of us. Our contributions expand beyond that and our power expands beyond the ballot box. And part of that is going to be on us to, to insert it. But I also think that there are people who are not Latinx who could definitely do a little bit more work to, you know, delve a little deeper into, into the complexities of our communities. 
That's exactly it. And that's why the work that you all are doing is so important. The the deep relationship building with nuestra gente every day on the ground to not only hear their grievances, but to approach our community from an asset-based perspective. Like, what do Absolutely. we already have? What do we already contribute? Um, how are we already powerful? And how can we just go deeper on that power is just how I see mi gente. You know, at mi gente, we talk about needing to build power Sin el Estado, contra el Estado, and desde el Estado, right? So against the state, within the state, without the state. So the work can look like supporting efforts with our local partners in Philadelphia who are continuing their mutual aid efforts that they started in response to the pandemic, diaper dispensaries that then become organizing opportunities to get mothers to get involved with a campaign and to start talking about the issues impacting their lives and other young folks who are also mobilizing the Latino vote and see that as a tool to really continue developing the leadership in our communities to build more power, to advance an agenda towards el buen vivir, right? Towards this racial, economic, and climate justice that all of us deserve. Well, there you have it. Like all things about our community, it's rich and complex and worth unpacking together, especially this month, but really all year round. What I take from these four conversations as we put the magnifying glass on our heritage is that we have the power to shape the narrative about ourselves. And like Ariana said, to tell the right stories will require more from us, not just more of us. Happy Hispanic Latino Heritage Month, Ulso fam. You can subscribe to the Pulsa Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to give us a listen. Have questions or story ideas to send our way? Send us an email to info at projectpulso.org. This episode was produced by me, Liz Alarcón, with editorial oversight by Charlie Garcia. Music by Julian Blackmore. Audio engineering and mixing by Charlie Garcia. Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio 80 podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.